Let's bow our heads in a word of prayer. Gracious and loving Father, on this day of Pentecost, we come before you as your people to hear your word, to sing, to pray. Lord, we pray that you would, by your Holy Spirit, continue to move in our hearts and in our lives, that we, in all boldness, might stand firm on the solid foundation of the faith that you have planted into our hearts and our lives. And that in the midst of this world and this culture today, we, like the disciples, would not be afraid to proclaim, but rather that with all boldness, we can stand on the truth of your words and proclaim it to the world around us. We pray, be with us in Jesus' name. Amen. Pentecost has been depicted in many ways through the years by different artists. And usually as we look at the artwork, we'll see things like tongues of flame on the heads of disciples or, or the power of the wind moving through the room or whatever it might be. But in all aspects of this, what this day is about is it's about the outpouring of God's Spirit upon his, his disciples. It's called by some uh, the birth date of the church by which the church begins to work uh, very publicly in the world. It was that day upon which the promise was fulfilled that the Holy Spirit would be bestowed upon the disciples and that they would begin then to fulfill uh, that which Jesus had commissioned them to do to be his witnesses in Judea and Samaria and, and into all the utter parts of the world. And of course, over the next decades, we begin to see that unfold as these disciples move in different ways and in different directions to share the gospel of Jesus Christ. But our story really begins long before that because you see, the, the Holy Spirit is somewhat of a mystery to us. We, we don't talk about the Holy Spirit a lot in our circles, and, and there's a reason for that. And next week is Trinity Sunday, and we'll be looking at the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. But, but in the big scheme of things today, as we focus on the Holy Spirit, we need to know something. The reason we don't always talk about the Holy Spirit is, is even though the Holy Spirit is central and integral to everything we do, that the Holy Spirit is present in the power of God's Word, working faith in our hearts and our lives, and, and we confess that, and that the Holy Spirit is there in the waters of baptism, and that He's there in the celebration of the Lord's Supper, and, and we even say that we cannot by our own reason or strength come to faith in Jesus Christ our Lord without the power of the Holy Spirit working. And so that the Holy Spirit, by all means, is integral to who we are as Christians. But the reason we don't talk about the Holy Spirit a whole lot is because the Spirit's job is to shine the light on Jesus. It's the Holy Spirit's job to promote the gospel, to help us to see Jesus more clearly. And so in so many ways, the Holy Spirit often operates in what we would say the background so that Jesus shines more brightly. And, and so we need to kind of keep that in, in mind as we talk about the Holy Spirit. But the Holy Spirit really has been around since the days of creation. The Spirit of God hovered over the surfaces of the waters, if you will. And so we see the Holy Spirit is not something new, but he's that part of the Trinity which has existed into all of eternity. No beginning, no end. And yet in the Old Testament, we see that the Holy Spirit and the bestowal of the Holy Spirit is not a common thing. In our Old Testament lesson today, we see that the Holy Spirit uh, was put on the 70 elders that were selected by Moses to help with the task of administration and dealing with the challenges of, of, of the people of Israel, if you will, that they were bringing to him. This was at the advice of his, of his father-in-law, Jethro, who said, you know, you're going about this the wrong way, Moses. You need to help, uh, find some helpers to help you in this ministry. And so uh, 70 elders were appointed by God, and Moses called them all to the tent, but for some reason um, Eldad and Medad did not make it. 
uh, to the tent. And so as the Spirit came upon those appointed um, by, by Moses to serve, uh, the Spirit didn't leave out uh, Eldad and Medad, even though they weren't there. And, and people were concerned that they were in the camp prophesying, and they run to Joshua, son of Nun, and, and they tell him, and Joshua, who's Moses' aide, runs to Moses and says, stop them. I, I love this. Because today it reminds me of, of people who might run to someone and say, you know, pastor, you've got to stop them from teaching because you don't know if they're exactly teaching just right according to the Lord or whatever. And, and you know, you've got to stop them from doing that. And the reality is, is that when God's spirit works, uh, are we supposed to stand in the way? Are we supposed to prohibit or somehow uh, discourage people from sharing God's word because maybe they're not going about it the way that we would? Well, that seems to be what's happening here in the Old Testament lesson. Uh, this is an uncommon thing, of, of, of course, but, but again, what does Moses say? And I think these are good words for us today. Are you jealous for my sake? Would that all the pe Lord's people were prophets, if only all of us would get off of our hind ends, if you will, and, and proclaim God's word in our lives, in, in word and in deed. Now, that's really what this is saying, because a prophet is, is not somebody who tells the future, so to speak, although that occasionally happens, but the prophet is one who proclaims God's word. And so anytime that we are proclaiming God's word to people, whether it's in a sermon or it's a Bible study or Bible class, uh, we, are, we are acting as prophets, those who speak God's word to people. And so he says, would that all the Lord's people were prophets, that the Lord would put his spirit on them. Well, we have that spirit of God, and one of the things that, that Christ encourages us to do then is to what? Go and make disciples of all nations. Uh, teaching them, baptizing them, preaching to them, sharing God's word, uh, teaching them all things whatsoever I've commanded you. And in and, and our Christian lives, we often refrain from that call, from that purpose. And the whole story of Pentecost is to remind us to, to get out of the safe zones, to get out of the upper room, as we're going to see in our next lesson here, and to go out and to engage the crowds. Now, I, I picked a picture of a crowd here because it, this is probably somewhat what it looked like on that day of Pentecost, that, that the disciples are preaching to thousands of people. How do we know that? Well, at the end of the text, it tells us, or not the text, but the end of the, of the story later on, it tells us that over 3,000 were, were came to faith and were baptized on that day of Pentecost. And so you got to figure there's a bunch in the crowd who don't get baptized, who don't pay attention to God's word, who are dismissing what the disciples are saying because that always happens. And so thousands of people are there. Now think of this. 50 days earlier, these disciples were running away in fear and hiding. The only one with a little bit of guts to stick around was John at the foot of the cross, but the rest of them had taken off. And a week later, they're still hiding in the upper room. They're still not sure what's going on. And then that time period before Jesus' ascension, you know, when they're gathering with Jesus, they're still trying to get a grip on everything, what's going on, what's going to happen. And Jesus tells them then to remain in Jerusalem until I send my Holy Spirit upon you. And that's going to be the sign. So here they are waiting around in this upper room. They're waiting for the Holy Spirit to come out. Now, we know that the ascension was just a few days earlier. And so they're waiting around. Jesus is gone. They're probably talking about how's this going to happen? How's it going to unfold? What are we going to do? Trying to plan things out, maybe. But the Holy Spirit comes, and you never know exactly what the Holy Spirit's going to do. But in this case, it's a spectacular type of thing. The Holy Spirit comes in a roaring wind, anoints them with fire, and they begin to go out into the streets and into the crowds, and they begin to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ in a multitude of languages. And we have that wonderful list that Jerry worked through during the, the reading of the lessons, and pretty good job there, Jerry, on getting all of those pronunciations extremely close. Um, I, I won't give you credit for being perfect there, but extremely close. 
And, and, and the whole idea here is, is that people are coming from all over the world to Jerusalem. We heard Stinky and Harry talking about that. And the whole idea is that each one is not only speaking in a different voice to all of these people, but everyone there, regardless of where they come from, is hearing the word in their own language. This is the miracle of Pentecost here. It's not just the speaking in languages, but it's the hearing in each language as needed as well. And so they're all amazed. We see that in verse 12. And perplexed, saying to one another, what does this mean? I love it. There were Lutherans in the crowd even back then. For those of you who come from a non-Lutheran background, that's kind of an inside joke, if you will, because Luther's small catechism, the question is asked time and time again, what does this mean? Uh, well, others there are mocking. These are the people who are there who are probably uh, not really paying attention, who, who maybe are mocking the disciples who, who want nothing to do. Uh, they're not named here, but it could have been scribes and Pharisees and Sadducees and others who maybe some of the religious leaders, they're mocking and they're accusing the apostles of essentially being drunk. Well, that might be all good and well, if you will, but it doesn't explain how, you know, I, I mean, I don't know about you, but if, if some people have a little too much, they're not speaking very clearly at all, let alone in another language, and they're not hearing very clearly, let alone in their own language. So to excuse this uh, on the spirits, if you will, uh, takes a whole lot away from the spirit who is working in the lives of the apostles and of the crowd so that everyone can hear. Uh, they're not filled with new wine. And Peter, probably not even knowing what they're saying, still uh, addresses that. Peter, standing with the eleven, lifted up his voice and addressed them, Men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and give ear to my words. For these people are not drunk, as you suppose, since it's only the third hour of the day. That would have been about nine o'clock in the morning. Now, the other miracle here is that somehow, without modern-day equipment and public address systems and microphones and speakers, that Peter is able to address a crowd of thousands, and it's probably a noisy crowd, and they hear him. They hear him speak, and he immediately goes to words with which they would have been familiar, words from the Old Testament, the prophet Joel. And in the last days it shall be, God declares, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. And your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams, even on my male servants and female servants. In those days I will pour out my spirit, and they shall prophesy. In other words, God pours out his spirit upon his people, and we are all to speak the truth of God's word to those around us. That's what he's done for us in these latter days. Uh, the Holy Spirit is not an uncommon thing as it was in the Old Testament, but a very common thing for us today. And we see that uh, as, as we come together and the Holy Spirit works in our midst, that we likewise are called to proclaim God's word to others. Now that might be on an individual way. It might be a one-on-one -on -one as we're talking to other people in our lives. It might be in small groups. It might be in the workplace or in the school. Uh, it might be uh, in our neighborhoods or in our own homes. And sometimes it's in larger crowds or larger situations like in Bible classes, Bible studies, church, etc. But we have opportunity to bear witness to God in a multitude of places. And that's important for us to do. I know that some of you, <laughs> I find this rather interesting, um, but some of you are probably familiar with the My Pillow Man, and, and maybe he drives some of you nuts a little bit once in a while, but that's a man whose life was changed by a Holy Spirit working in him, and he came to faith in Jesus Christ. And you notice he's always wearing a cross, but I've also noticed in his public appearances, he never, never lets an opportunity go by without witnessing his faith in Jesus Christ in some way, shape, or form. Uh, the guy might not annoy you sometimes, but you've got you to uh, see his passion and what he's all about. 
And he's not the only person who does those kinds of things. And so there are many uh, out there in a very public arenas, uh, athletes and others, who take the opportunity to witness their faith in Jesus Christ. That's what we all should be about doing. And even in this time of, of, uh, of isolation and COVID-19, it's amazing to me to see how often the church is mentioned in news reports and social distancing. And sometimes it's mentioned because people are afraid of the, the fact that we might gather together, might spread this virus, and they forget about the faith element of all of this too, is that God is with his people and God's gonna take care of his people. And we need to remember all of that uh, as well. Doesn't mean that we can't be prudent and smart, but it means that God is gonna be with us in all things. And he calls his people to be a witness to those around them. And so even as we start to regather, and, and I, I love the phrase regather because it's not really reopen. We just never shut down folks in the way of, of doing ministry and ministry just took a different form. But ministry's been going on and ministry's been happening in some very incredible ways. Uh, but we're going to uh, regather, if you will, and we're going to uh, be able to uh, wave and, and, and give our, our, our air high fives or our air fist bumps and our air hugs and all of those things. But as God's people gathering together, the Spirit of God is there. And he's with us and we are, again, continue to be his anointed people to prophesy and to share his words. But I love the last part of our text here today, and, and, and it's a reminder to us that salvation comes to us through the name of Jesus Christ. Verse 21, and it shall come to pass that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. This, uh, this reminds me of, of, of the miracle, if you will, when Peter's walking on the water and the world starts overcoming him and he sinks. What does he do? Lord, save me. Uh, one of the miracles that we examined in Bible class this morning, uh, the same way, Lord, help me. If we call on the name of the Lord, uh, we shall be saved. And so uh, as salvation comes to us by the name of Jesus Christ and by no other name. It is by the name of Jesus that we are saved. And we know, as Paul reminds us, that one day every knee shall bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And so calling upon the name of Jesus is, is uh, to acknowledge that we believe who he is and what he's done uh, for us. And so important for us to have that relationship with Jesus Christ and to trust in him above all things for our salvation. That's why he went to a cross and that's why he suffered and died. He did it for us to wash away the multitude of our sins. Jesus says it in our gospel lesson today. On the last day of the feast, the great day, Jesus stood up and cried out, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Now this he said about the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were to receive. For as yet the Spirit had not been given because Jesus was not yet glorified. Well, we know that he's been glorified and we have received that spirit. And so out of us are flowing uh, the rivers of living water. We have that gospel message, that, that gospel message that when we pour it out from our hearts and our lives to those who are thirsty around us, that they can drink and be filled and be satisfied and have that gift of eternal life and salvation that comes by the promises of God's word. We have that opportunity to be that living water and to bring that cleansing to people and to their hearts and their lives with those powerful words, your sins are forgiven because Jesus died for you. Your sins are forgiven because you are loved by Jesus Christ. You belong to him. He bought and paid for you with his precious blood and you have been washed clean. We have that living hope, that living water, that living gospel in our hearts, in our lives. And so here's the words for today. 
Open the gates of your heart that the floodwaters can pour forth and impact the lives of those around you. Don't bottle it all up inside of you, but let that living water flow through your deeds and through your words so that others can have the same hope and the same life and the same peace which passes all of our human understanding. Focus on using the gifts that the Spirit has given to you. Focus on serving Christ in word and in deed. Let that living water flow out of your heart. For that's the heart that we want to share with the world. Not the sinful, selfish heart that so many carry around, but a heart full of grace and mercy and truth. Let his living waters flow through you. In Jesus' name, amen. And now may the peace of God, which passes all of our human understanding, keep your hearts and minds in the true faith of God in Christ Jesus unto life everlasting. Amen.